All right. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for being here tonight. We are doing uh, something totally different than what we have, uh, what we've ever done before. What we usually do is tonight is about politics, sort of. Sort of, okay? So just relax for a second here. Um, I know you're getting nervous. So who in here um, loves talking about politics? Okay, good. Um, who in here gets nervous when people start talking about politics, gets a little bit uncomfortable? Um, who just couldn't care less about politics at all? Yeah, okay. Who didn't raise their hand? You still didn't raise your hand. Okay, good. Uh, well, tonight we're going to be talking sort of politics, but we're really going to be talking about um, how, as Christians, we should look at politics. And so, um, don't worry, take like a, a deep breath, a sigh of relief. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. I'm not going to advocate for anybody um, out there. Um, I'm really just going to try to give you um, a biblical perspective on politics and voting and things like that. I'm not really all that smart when it comes to politics, so I wouldn't trust my opinion anyway, so I'm not going to give it to you. But um, tonight we're going to be uh, kind of seeing what the scripture has to say about um, voting and about politics. But before we jump into that, um, I thought it would be um, I thought it would be fun to share with you, and you probably haven't heard these before. Is what I believe to be the best slogans for president that um, there has ever been. And so I looked these up, and listen, I I may there may be a little bit of profanity in here, but it's not me. I'm quoting. Okay, so not my problem. All right, these are legit like presidential, United States presidential election slogans, okay? So this is stuff that was like publicized across the nation. All right, here we go. Let me give you my top three, okay? So I got to set this one up. Um, there's a guy named Thomas Dewey, and he uh, was twice the Republican candidate for president, and he lost to the Democrats both times. And so he came up with what I believe, this was in the 40s, a brilliant slogan, okay? So remember, his name is Thomas Dewey, okay, and he is a Republican and got defeated by Democrats, okay, so you know the Democrat, uh, what their symbol is, right, okay, let's put all the pieces together, okay, here we go, here was his slogan, keep the ass off the White House grass, it's all Dewey, <laughs> come on, that's brilliant, that's brilliant, that is so good, did you see what he did there, he just, he had so many things going, okay, all right, all right, whatever, uh, okay, this one, the 40s must have been great because this was also in the 40s. Um, this was an anti-FDR slogan, and their slogan was pretty simple, but I think it got straight to the point. It was, uh, no man is good three times. Okay, all right. Okay, I saved the best for last, and this one Amy said I could not share, but I was like, yes, I will. Um, this one, I... <laughs> You ever get the giggles when you read something? And I got the giggles. I was by myself reading this, and I got the giggles so bad when I read this. I thought, yes, that's brilliant. Okay, I got to explain this one so, you, so it makes sense. Okay, there's a guy named Al Smith, and uh, this was in 1928, and he was running for president, and this was during the days of prohibition. And so there were like uh, two, um, two different like, uh, parties, I guess. Um, they were called the Drys which were the, um, which obviously wanted there to be prohibition. And then there was the wets, and they wanted to end prohibition. You already can see where this is going. Okay. And his slogan, <laughs> I just can't, oh gosh. Okay. His slogan was, <laughs> this is real, vote for Al Smith and make your wet dreams come true. <laughs> Stop it. That is real. That is in America. Oh, good job, America. 
Good job, America. So, sorry, Amy. I hope that's, uh, hope that's not recorded. Okay, so, okay. So, here we go. Uh, whew, I'm blushing right now. <laughs> this is, that just, to me, is just too much. Okay. Anyway, so here's what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to try to give you some perspective on this whole voting thing. And uh, here's the deal is some people make too much of voting and I think in the elections and then some people make too little of it. And so we're going to talk about how um, uh, voting is and on one hand very important, but then on the other hand, not as important. Okay. And so you might be and I guess uh, statistically, you're probably in the it's not that important category because less than half of millennials vote, which is kind of crazy. Okay, so less than half of us, we actually showed up for the last election, and um, I have this sneaky suspicion that even less of us will show up for this one. Okay, and so we're going to be talking about that, and I'm going to give you some practical stuff along with it, but let's start with like the biggest chunk first, um, which is how should we view um, like kind of our standing in government, as Christians, how do we view our standing in government? And so the scripture is really, really clear on this. It says that we are citizens of God's kingdom first. No matter what nation we live in, we are citizens of God's kingdom first. And so um, in Philippians 3.20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've talked about this here before, but let me give you kind of the backdrop of what this is all about is what it is saying is, um, is that we uh, primarily live for our King Jesus. Okay, so part of, or, or the point of being a Christian is we proclaim that Jesus is King. And not just like he's King uh, over our lives, but like we believe that he is King over everything, right? Because Jesus came, and this is going to be a little bit surprising to you, is the church is actually one of the most political institutions in the world. But what I mean by political is um, we do have uh, an authority and we do have someone who governs over us, um, but we're not partisan. So what this means is, is that we are one of the most political institutions because we are pushing a political agenda that Jesus is the king and that he rules over everyone or at least should. And so when we talk about being citizens of God's kingdom first, what we're really saying is that um, when it comes to the ultimate authority of our life, it's always going to be what Jesus wants for us. That we're always going to say whatever Jesus wants for us and for um, the, the, the people who call themselves followers of Jesus is what is going to happen. And so here's kind of the crazy uh, analogy or I guess metaphor that the scripture uses. It says that we are like, um, that we are like people who are living in a foreign land. That we, ha we, when we gather together, um, we have, we, we, we declare our system. Okay, let me back up. I'm going to explain this to you, okay? I was just going to blow over this, but then I'm like, nah, you know what? Screw it. Okay, I'll tell you. Okay, so here's the deal. Is there are multiple, there's two kingdoms here in the world. There's the kingdom of God in which we declare that Jesus is king, and then there's the kingdom of the world. And so when we live in the kingdom of God, um, we can live in other nations, so we, like we're, we, we are Americans, but we are primarily citizens of the kingdom of God. And so what this means is, um, is that when we gather together as a church, the illustration is we are like an embassy, because we are a nation of people, so all of us are a nation of people, and people who live in foreign lands who come together in the name of Jesus are also citizens of that same kingdom. And when we come together and we declare Jesus is king, what we're really doing is we're meeting as foreigners in a foreign land. So we're kind of like an embassy. You see the church, and the church is the embassy, and we then are therefore, or we then are, are ambassadors for Christ. 
And so the scripture gives this illustration. It says, you are primarily or first and foremost a citizen of uh, the kingdom of God. Now, here's where it kind of gets a little bit controversial. Is I've heard lots of people say, well, you know, the United States is a Christian nation. Now, I hate to burst your bubble here, but there is no such thing as a Christian nation. There might be a nation which was founded on Christian principles or the founding people um, were Christians themselves, but the scripture is really, really clear. There is no such thing as a Christian nation because we are citizens not of this world, but of another world. And so when we try to bring this, this kingdom of God into the earth and then we say, okay, now this is a Christian nation, we're actually being very unbiblical because Jesus actually kind of got rid of this idea that Christians or people who follow God can be identified with a specific nation. So here's kind of the backdrop of this is uh, when we look into uh, Mark 12, Jesus gives us kind of an interaction about how he feels about politics, and the, the interaction that he has is really telling because um, they try to trap him and they try to say, okay, Jesus, um, should we, as believers, or these are, these are Jews at the time, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And his answer is really insightful because he's telling us a lot. And here's what his answer is. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. See, the Old Testament in the Old Testament, the people of the Old Testament, they would identify with a nation. So the people of God were directly identified with a nation. And here Jesus says, no, that's not how this works anymore. Because when he said, support Rome with your taxes, what he's really saying is, we, as God's people, no longer identify with a, a specific nation. Which means that there is not going to be any nation that is God's nation. That is a Christian nation. We are supposed to live as exiles in whatever nation that we find ourselves in. We are God's people living as exiles in a foreign land. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting is what is our relationship with? So you got the backdrop. What is our relationship supposed to be between us as Christians and whatever government we may find ourselves in? And Paul kind of lays this out, and he gives us some pointers of what we're supposed to do. And our primary responsibility as Christians, first, is to be good citizens wherever we find ourselves. And so in Romans 13, he says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. So it says this, it says, we are supposed to, as believers, submit to whatever government and whatever authority is over us. That we're not supposed to be rebellious. That we're supposed to say, okay, if you want us to pay taxes, we'll pay taxes, even if they're out of control, even if they're so, that's fine. Because we want to be good citizens in whatever nation we find ourselves in. The only time that it tells us that we are allowed to uh, rebel against the authorities in our life is when they conflict with our ultimate authority, God. And so we see this in Acts. We see where like, uh, Peter is going and he's preaching the gospel and they're telling him, hey, you can't preach about Jesus. And he says, yo, sorry, I'm going to do what I'm going to do because that's my ultimate authority. And it also tells us, and I find this kind of fascinating, is that God has actually put the government that oversees us, that is the authority in our life, that he has placed them over us. It's as if that he's acting through the governments of the world in order to bring justice and punishment into the world. And he continues on, he says this in verse, uh, verse 6, he says, uh, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. 
who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So not only are we supposed to uh, submit to our authorities, but we're supposed to give them respect. We're supposed to give them honor. In fact, the scripture talks about in 2 Timothy that we're supposed to be praying for the people who are authorities in our life. And here's a little challenge. Even praying for the people whom we very much disagree, that they would rule well over us. In fact, um, and I don't want to sound like I'm anti-political or that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics because I think the Old Testament is full of people, biblical heroes who are involved in, in different, um, different uh, kind of strata, strata of politics. You've got Joseph and Esther, Daniel. You've got uh, all of these people who are influencing these pagan nations so that they can help bring um, God's goodness into these nations. But ultimately, the scripture is clear that we are going to be accountable to God. So the second part of Jesus' answer after he says give back to Caesar what is Caesar's is to um, give God what is God's. And so when these authorities come into conflict, we ultimately have to side with whatever God wants us to. Now, here's, this is the backdrop. This is like our involvement. Now, here's where the fun part comes. And, uh, and I'm going to be careful because I, I, I really want to stay apolitical because I don't think that's my job. Is what are we supposed to do during this specific election season? Like, how are we supposed to think about this? Like, are we supposed to vote? Are we not supposed to vote? How do we engage in conversation? And so let me just give you some things to consider um, as you are wrestling with um, your decision to vote and to dialogue and through this political season that, thank God, is almost over. Okay, first is this. Don't let your political views diminish your spiritual influence. So um, I have been guilty of, so I like to argue. Okay, if you know me personally, you know I love to argue. Like, I will argue about arguing, okay? Like, it is one of my favorite pastimes in the world is to argue with you um, because I'm usually right, and I want you to know that. And so um, I, love, I love arguing with people, but one of the things that I realized about myself is that oftentimes I will try to argue with you, and I will go down, I will go to the mat to make sure that I win, but as I'm doing that, even if I win the argument, I'm actually losing, ultimately, the battle because I've lost my influence over you. So I might be able to kind of put you in a, a mental headlock or whatever and be able to admit, get you to admit that you're wrong or make you so mad that you just end up giving up or whatever it is. And I eventually, although I've won that discussion, whatever that issue is, I've ultimately lost my influence to talk to you about really, really important stuff. And this, I, I think one of the worst places to have dialogue is on the internet. I don't even notice this, but people are like real bold behind a computer, right? Like they say crazy things. And you're like, how I dare you to say that to my face? You know, like, I, ooh, I wish you would. You know, I, ooh. And I get so bold, you know, I'm just mad. And I realized like, okay, Cody, you cannot do this any longer. In fact, here's what I did. Because one, um, I don't, I, okay, I deleted like my Facebook and Instagram off my phone a few months ago, so I haven't been on there in a long time. And because two reasons: one, because one, I don't care, I don't care about people's opinions um, who post them on Facebook, and that seems to be what most people do. Uh, and the other is I can't help myself from posting when I disagree with them. And so I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you since high school, but I'm gonna let you know what's up. You know, like, oh, I'm gonna get you so good right now. And then like I'm obsessed. And it's like two in the morning, and I'm like, oh, Amy, wake up! You should hear what they just said. You know, it's just it's a bad deal. And I realized, wow, I am like, I, 
I am totally ruining any influence I have over these people so I can tell them why they're wrong. You know, I know they're wrong. I, I'm, I have to be okay with it. Okay, second thing is this. Always vote principle over party. Always vote principle over party. And so I think that um, if this is probably true of your family and might be true of you, is they've always kind of been a part of one political party or another, and they've always voted according to uh, their party lines. And I think what is maybe great about this election, if there is anything great that's come out of it, is, um, is that people really have to now begin to look at, them, look at what they're voting for and no longer just vote according to party lines, but according to what they really believe. They have to say, okay, am I going to vote for my principles in this? And, and do I have principles? Or have I always just voted because it's, I'm, I've always voted Democrat or I've always voted Republican? And the scripture calls us to be salt and light in our culture. And this means that we are supposed to preserve morally the culture and that we're supposed to combat and fight against evil and always try to bring justice and goodness into the world. And one of the ways that we get to do that in a democracy is we get to do that with our vote. So primarily, we get to do that through our own lifestyle, that we get to show people, hey, here's what it looks like to live as a Christ follower, and hopefully as we do that, that spreads to our friends and our family. But another way that we get to do that uh, in a democracy is we get to do that through uh, our votes. And so um, a lot of us are apathetic. Right And rightly so, is we think, ah, you know what, my vote doesn't matter, it's, we live in California, it's a wash anyway, you know, or, and nothing's going to change, all these politicians are the same. And one of the ways in which is our, our moral responsibility is to stand up and say, okay, um, I'm standing for righteousness, I'm standing for moral goodness, and one of the ways I could do it, even if no one listens, I'm going to do it through the voting process. Okay, the third is this, is... Um, I think this is probably the most important, is politics won't save us. Politics won't save us. So we all know that there's a problem. Everyone in the world, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Buddhist, everybody looks at the world and goes, there is something wrong. And it seems like America is on like a really bad downward spiral. And as we look at it, everybody's asking, what can we do uh, to, to, to save America? What can we do to make it better? How can we resolve all of these issues? And the more that you look at the issues, you mo hopefully the more that you will realize that there is only one thing that can save us. First, you have to identify what the true issue is. And everybody wants to put the blame on uh, a policy issue. It's education, or it's racial tension, or it's economic inequality. Or, and there's a, a bunch of different reasons. So everybody says if we could fix those things, then everything would be okay. But here's the problem. We've only identified what is happening on the surface. There's a far deeper issue. And the scripture identifies this, and it says the reason why things are going wrong and they don't seem to be getting any better is because you're addressing just the surface level issue. The real issue is the human heart is wicked. Now, try telling one of your friends that who don't go to church, who, aren't, who are not predisposed to Christianity, and they will be shocked. My friend Beckett, he tells a great story about how um, he was sitting at a cafe, and he's a real outgoing dude, and so um, he was talking to one of, the, uh, one of the workers at the cafe, and he said, hey, you know what? Tell me about human nature. What do you think? Are we good, are we bad, or are we neutral? And I bet you, if you did the same thing with your friends, they would say, you know, I think, I think we're all good. We just make bad decisions. He says, absolutely not. We're evil. We're wicked. We are reprobates. You know, I'm like, yeah, you tell him, man. Get, get him. Um, 
And the real issue is that we have this sin thing that's taking place in our life. There's no way that it's going to get better until we recognize what the real issue is. And the scripture says the real issue is is that we have been separated from God. And so until we decide to hand over our lives to God as individuals, our nations around and make things better, and I think that is fully legitimate. But if we want to address the real issue, the real thing that's going to influence uh, culture is sharing the gospel. So I, I totally think that Christians should be involved in politics, but I think that they should be way more involved in sharing the gospel. Because if you really want to influence a culture, sure, politics is going to be a great way to do that. But if you, if you want to have real change take place in a culture, it's always going to be through sharing the gospel and bringing people to know Jesus Christ. That's primarily how cultures change. If you want to be an influencer, this is the way that you're going to do it. And so, you know, I would say that if I were going to... Um, if I were going to, if there was someone who was really ambitious, a Christian who's really ambitious, and they said, Cody, you know, what can we do to help make things better around here? What can we do? And I would say, yeah, politics, great. But first and foremost, get serious about your faith and get serious about sharing your faith. Because whenever the church gets serious about this, it always influences culture. But whenever the church tries to vie for political power, the church always loses, Historically, this is true, is if you look back on history, you will see that every time the church tried to get political power, the church ends up losing in the end. But every time the church says we're going to get serious about sharing the gospel, it always influences culture. The other uh, thing I think we should remember is when culture, and Ryan mentioned this, when culture gets darker, we have an opportunity. So as culture becomes more secular, and as it gets further and further away from uh, what we would consider to be biblical principles, um, I think things are going to, the contrast between the biblical worldview and the secular worldview is going to become uh, even more prevalent. And it's in those moments when we have an opportunity, is we have an opportunity to either infiltrate the culture and be drastically different and be a light to our friends and our family, or... We can pull back, we can be, a, we can be scared, and, uh, and we can hide. And both have happened in nations before. You can go in different parts of the world, and you can see what the end result is when people, as the, as the culture changes, as Christians step up, you can see what has happened there, and you can also see when Christians have kind of pulled back and, and they've been afraid. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to be drastically different than all of our friends and family. And so let me, get to, uh, let me get to the kind of the more practical stuff. Now, how should we vote? How should we vote? So assuming that we should vote, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, how should we vote? So let me give you a few views on voting. And, uh, and I'm going to, again, try not to give you any of my opinion. In fact, I don't even know where I'm at at this. So here's a, here's a few things. First view on voting, and there are Christian leaders who I think would back all of these. I've read a ton, I've watched, I've listened, I've whatever. Okay, first one is this. First view on voting is don't vote. So there are people um, who say there is no biblical mandate for you to vote. Voting is a privilege in which you get, but if you decide that you cannot in good conscience go out and vote for one of these candidates, you are not obligated to vote. It's not immoral for you to uh, to to not vote in this election. Now, on the flip side of this, people would argue a few different things. Let me give you some quotes. Plato. Plato says, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And then Edmund Burke says, and then this famous quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
And so the people who would argue against this view would say, hey, um, you can't be passive. You cannot be passive. You have been given an opportunity to be able to go out there and to voice your opinion, even if you think it's not going to be heard. And as Christians, we have the moral responsibility, even if we're on the losing side, whatever side that is, um, to voice our opinion that we want to see good, we want to see uh, justice, and we're going to tell the world that by casting our vote. And so we have a moral responsibility to be able to do that. So that would be the opposing view of things. Um, I think that if I were going to summarize this, is there's very few people who I know, Christian leaders, who would advocate for not voting at all. They would say, you can, it's not immoral, you're not like sinning, it's not unbiblical for you not to vote. However, it's probably not recommended. So let me give you a couple other views. Uh, the next view is, and you've probably heard this before, is vote for the lesser of two evils. Vote for the lesser. Doesn't that make you just feel great? You know, like, who am I going to vote for? Is it going to be Stalin or is it going to be Hitler? I don't know. I can't wait. You know, this is going to be great. Um, not that they're both Stalin and Hitler. You get it, okay? It's an analogy. Yeah, whatever. All right. Listen, so the people who would advocate for this argument would say something like this, is until Jesus runs for president, every election is going to be voting for the lesser of two evils right? Because every person who is going to run for the presidency um, is going to be messed up sinners just like you and I. And so in, at the end of the day, no matter what election it is, everybody has to pick one person um, over the other who is the lesser of the two evils. And so I could kind of get this argument. I understand. And so the, the person who says this says, um, you need to vote for the candidate that is closest to your values and worldview. So, okay, so both are very far away, but which one's a little bit closer to what you value and what you think would be good for, um, good for the nation? And I think, that, um, I think that there's some validity to this because uh, there's a lot of things at stake, and people point this out, is there's going to be some big issues that are going to come up, and they're going to say, hey, we don't know what's going to happen, but you know, when we think about the Supreme Court and we think about some of the laws and some of the things that are, legislation is going to be coming up, um, we at least want to have a shot at getting our worldview represented there. And so that's what this party would say. And there's some, there's some really smart people that represent this. And they say, hey, um, you know, this is, this is your really your only option. You've got to pick out of the two, pick the lesser of two evils. Now, there is also a party that totally opposes this view. And here's what they have to say. They, have to say, they, they say that every person should have a, a, like a moral minimum that they require out of a leader. So I think that the analogy would go something like this. <laughs> I, I keep getting analogies with my wife, and they always seem to be negative, and I don't mean to be. So let's pretend like it's your boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay, so let's pretend like you're going to be going on a date. This is imaginary, of course, but that's pretending like that would actually happen. And so um, some of you guys are, like, so pissed right now. Like, <laughs> screw politics. You're a jerk. Um, I'm kidding. I don't even know you that well. Okay. There is, <laughs> bless you, my child, um, you, okay, so listen, when you go out and you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, um, in essence, what you're doing is you are picking the lesser of all evils to marry, okay? I know, this is so depressing right now, right? This is so depressing, um, right? You are never going, let me put it this way, you are never going to find someone who is perfect, okay? And if you did, they wouldn't date you, so you wouldn't have to worry about it. So, you are never, you, 
Jesus is not going to date you, okay? You, well, maybe you'll date Jesus. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Um, you are never going to have a person who is perfect. And so in essence, what you're doing is you are trying to find the person who is less evil than the rest of them. That's, uh, that, just, I can't, that doesn't sound good no matter how I say it. Um, but listen, nobody is like forcing you, and this is the opposite argument, no one is forcing you to date and get married, right? So yes, you can go out there and you can find the person whom you believe is the lesser of all the other evils of people that you could date, and, uh, and no one is saying you have to date them or, uh, or you have to marry them. The only reason why you would marry them is because they have met some kind of standard that you have set. You, that you say, you know what, um, I have a standard of the type of person that I'm going to marry or that I'm going to date, and until someone meets that standard, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just not going to date. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to be single. And so I think that this side would say something like, you have to have uh, a specific set of moral standards as a voter. So when you look at who you want to vote for, you have these uh, non-negotiables, and you say, I'm only going to vote for someone who has these attributes or maybe does not have these attributes. And so some things that may eliminate you from voting would be if they're uh, a racist or they're a habitual liar or a misogynist or the advocate for ab abortion. And you believe that, man, that's, that's taking of a human life. And so if they have those views, um, you might say, I just can't in good conscience vote for them. Now, here comes the, the third I guess the third option, and I've seen other pastors advocate for this as well, is vote for righteousness, is cast your vote and find someone whom you believe meets those moral standards, whether you have to write them in. I think Mickey Mouse gets like the third highest vote every year, every presidential election. I don't know how moral he is, but you can, you can write it in if you want, but... But there's like a third party and there's a whatever in the write-in. And, and the, the advocates of this world, or this uh, voting view would be um, vote for someone who meets your moral requirements. And it also allows you to be active and participate in the uh, democratic um, uh, system and yet, uh, and yet still have your conscience at the end of the day. And so the person who would be against this view, uh, I think it's pretty obvious they would say, well... You're voting, but it's not actually going to do anything, so it doesn't, it doesn't actually help. You're not going to change. You're not going to have any outcome. You're voting just so you can feel better but not have any kind of real change. And so here's the deal is I'm going to be short tonight because I don't really, I think we're all over politics, but here's the thing is I would say that, yes, we do have a moral responsibility in which we should go vote. No, you're not a sinner if you don't vote, and it's not the biggest thing, you know, the end of the world or whatever. But I do think that we get the opportunity in our nation in order to go out and to vote. And so I think it is a great idea. But here's what I especially, if you decide not to vote, great. If you decide to vote, awesome. But here's the main point, is before you do whatever you decide to do, um, I think that we, the responsible thing for us to do is to think really hard about this stuff, so don't be apathetic about it, right? Don't be apathetic about it. To actually say, okay, I need to think this through, and if I decide at the end of the day, whatever I decide, at least I've thought through it. And then also pray through it. Say, okay, God, this is not an easy choice. This is not something that, um, uh, a choice that I think any of us want to have to make, but I want to make a choice in which my conscience will be clear. I feel good about it. I know that I'm doing the right thing. But whatever you do, I think that it's our responsibility as believers to go out there, not be apathetic, but be people who actually care about what the future um, of our nation looks like. So let me pray, and then we'll have some cupcakes. Dear Lord, uh, thank you so much for...
uh, how good you are. Um, thank you for a place like this where we're free to be able to talk about uh, politics, we're able to talk about you, we're able to talk about a ton of different stuff. And, uh, and so, Lord God, we are, um, one, excited that this season is almost over, uh, and the other is that you ultimately are still in charge. And so, Lord God, um, we just pray that you would guide us in whatever decisions we decide to make. Help us not to be apathetic, uh, not apathetic about um, our nation, but especially not apathetic about our faith and about sharing it with other people. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.